Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Uh, we've been gone for a few weeks. Uh, we've been uh, in Norway. A lot of exciting stuff uh, were happening there. Fabi, you are back right now in uh, Spain. I am uh, in Romania, still in Europe, both of us. First of all, let's start with uh, the last couple of days. How uh, have those been after Norway chess? Yeah, I've just been relaxing more or less and uh, played some Hell Tuesday yesterday, so not very eventful. Uh, but yeah, still work kind of never ends, you know, it always feels like there's the next thing to work on. Uh, this year it seems to be especially intense, although maybe if I think back on previous years, I would also feel like previous years were also quite intense. But, uh, but especially this year, because the amount of events has exploded. It's just one after like another. I feel like it has, yeah. I, I, there's obviously players who play more than me, but even I'm feeling like, um, for example, uh, the recently concluded um, qualification for the next Champions Tour event just finished. Uh, so it was uh, to decide the last four places of the next Champions Tour event, which um, the the... Spots that were already reserved were for Abdus Tara, for me, for Jordan Van Forest, and for um, for Fedosev. Fedosev was the winner of Division Two, so those were those were the four spots, and then we had to decide the next four spots. And so the tournament had Magnus, it had Ferruja, it had Ding, it had you know Wesley, you you name you name them the player. It's he he was there pretty much. Um, besides Hikaru, who who I guess didn't. He doesn't need to qualify, and probably also he was busy or something, so he didn't decide not to play. I think he was busy. And he we actually hitched uh, a taxi together, and I believe he was mentioning something about going to Toronto on the twelfth, maybe doing some um, some filming. I don't know exactly for what, but basically he he was traveling during those days, at least to my knowledge. Okay. Yeah, but it, anyway, it was uh, super strong, and the tournament that they qualified for. Uh, and finally, it was Magnus Wesley, uh, Magnus Wesley Levon, and um, Itorizaga. I should remember Itorizaga. Yes, yes, Itorizaga. Uh, those Itorizaga. four qualified. And yeah. I was looking at my schedule because I'm qualified for that event, and the dates are July 10th to July 14th. Don't and we have Zagreb July 10th? Yeah, that's why I was checking. So Zagreb, the last. Uh, last round is on the 9th. Oh, so July 10th is departure date. So you probably have to schedule your flights accordingly. Or maybe yeah, just stay in Zagreb. which is not so easy. Because it's two flights to get from Zagreb to, to most places I would be going to. And I guess I'll be playing from Spain. That's the only logical way that I can do it. So I'll probably have to take a 6 a.m. flight and make it by more or less midday and then i'll have time to to play because i no, think we that, started that, that that sounds extremely extremely uh tiring right maybe just stay in zagreb for one more day and play that yeah but you can't because the next day you play anyway well you play at night and then you take like a night flight and then you know get at least but some rest there are no there are no night flights because um imagine that like the game started at five o'clock and let's say they take two hours probably it'll take longer so i'll be finished at seven and i think the last flight i could possibly get is at eight o'clock and even i'm not sure if eight o'clock exists and there's no way i would make that so th there's no way to make an evening flight because the game starts so late so the only option is to take a morning flight uh, it's which I, I hope that uh, that I'll be able to like play under those circumstances. I, I think it's possible. I think it's okay. I don't think it's like a big deal. I, I just won't prepare. Um, okay, that's pretty much given. But at least I'll have some practice beforehand. So do you have the bracket already for that one? Well, so the top four will play the 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 people who qualified before will play the people who just qualified. So. I think Abdusatar will be seated one and I'll be seated two. So Abdusatar will play whoever is seated eighth and I'll play whoever is seated seventh. And then Jordan will play whoever is seated sixth. 
and Ferose will play whoever's seated fourth, which I think is either, I think is, is Levon, so I think Ferose, Levon, Magnus, Jordan, I think. Um, I, in that case, either um, who did I, either Wesley? I don't think or Iturizaga. So I think so, perhaps Abdusatorov plays Iturizaga and you play Wesley. It's something like that. It's uh, I'll, I'll play, yeah, probably either Iturizaga or Wesley. I'm not 100% sure. I think actually Wesley did pretty badly in the Swiss, and he might actually be lower seated than Iturizaga. Like, I think Iturizaga was, was like third place in the Swiss. Really? Uh, okay. So yeah, I think he did that. really well. I think he did really well. I think he was like Levon Magnus Iturizago. And Wesley was actually in the lower bracket. And he, um, like, the the system was a bit strange. Like, you have to choose your opponent. So Levon picked Gadakamski. Magnus picked, um, and by the way, Magnus's match, he, he picked Sarge. Magnus's match was, was really close. He won the first game, and then he lost on demand. And then they played in Armageddon. And the position was drawn pretty much up until the end. Uh, but of course, Armageddon, no increment, like anything can happen. And, and he did eke out a win. But it was a very close match. But okay, I don't think that was the main story of the event. I think the main story of the event was Laurent Fresinet beating Magnus. <laughs> that was just the main story of the event. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they mentioned it on, on their podcast as well. I think it was, uh, you know, it was always this funny rivalry between uh the boss and uh and and Fresine and you know too weak too slow okay, okay, wait, wait. so he, he he took revenge on him so so, it's, so it's, the it's, chicken it's huge chicken chess podcast calling that the main event would be like like the obama meme where he pins a medal on himself yes you know what i'm talking about yes yes of where course he puts, he puts the medal on his own neck that could be yes, yes. Because no offense, but Laurent didn't qualify, so I, I don't think, I don't think his game was the main event. Uh, <laughs> um, Look, it was so, the yeah, most discussed topic from that Champions Chess Tour yes, edition, at yes. least from my the, understanding. The Obama meme. <laughs> mm -hmm. The Obama meme. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I actually think the the best story from that was the Itori Zaga against Maksudlu match. Because it was decided by um, 0.9 seconds. That's how much time Itorizaga had at the end of the game of the Armageddon, which yeah. which Maxud lost. Uh, and 0.9 seconds is not much time. So, and then he gave like obviously we couldn't hear him, but he he said something after which was obviously uh, vamos, like very clearly, right? Uh, and then he like put his fist in the air like very very triumphantly, yeah. Uh, and that was I was like, especially with the lag because there's a little bit of lag while you're watching, so you don't actually know, you can't see the time, like to the millisecond, right? So you don't know exactly what's going on. And then suddenly like, you can tell who wins by the celebration reaction, not, yeah, by the reaction, not by the actual game clock. Yeah. So you could tell that he won only by his reaction, because the... to, be, to be fair, the game, the position was completely winning at that point. If I remember, it was yeah, through, it was. Uh, it was up three, three versus uh, Rook, yeah, yeah. and he was just basically giving checks. But you can easily lose those because I was thinking about it um, uh, during the game, and maybe at some point Maxudul towards the end had the opportunity to maybe just give up his Rook, something like Rook takes G five, just give a check. That's in the last second. Maybe uh, you pre-moved moving the G-pawn and then there's no more G-pawn to pre-move and you lose on time. That I think that was the best uh, option for it could have been and the best chance. Yeah, it's a bit... I mean, you have to, to make these split-second decisions, literally split-second decisions, um, and you never know like which, which is the appropriate flagging technique. It's not something I'm an expert at. Okay, obviously some guys are really, really good at flagging, um, are obviously the best bullet players like Andrew Tang or Daniel Narodisky or, um, or obviously Hikaru, uh, like very, very good at these sorts of decisions, which aren't really chess decisions at that point. They're, they're obviously just like what, 
what are the fastest moves I can make and what are the ways that I can just make my opponent move a bit slower. Yeah. It's not a chess thing anymore, so... Would you call it a uh, sports decision? Yeah, you could say it's, it's, a, it's a gaming decision, right? It's gaming a, decision, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, we know Andrew Tang, um, like, I think he tested out his reaction time and it's, like, pro-gamer level reaction time. Uh, which obviously uh, I don't have and probably most chess players don't have. But I, I still think it's not unfair because let's say this match was very balanced between Turizaga and Maxulu. It was basically 50-50. Um, they won. They exchanged wins. The Armageddon was as close as you can get. Someone has to win. It's not going to be fair to the other person either way. Uh, the way it actually ended with the Turizaga being in a winning position and and winning on time is, is kind of, let's say, the most fair that you can imagine. So, But if he had flagged also, I think, okay, it's it was a close game, 50-50 results. Pretty no, much I think, a normal sport. I, I think this is just a change, uh, change of culture in chess, right? Because there used to be no money in online chess. Still people were playing on, you know, play chess, ICC, uh, even chess.com 10 years ago, but there was no money in it. And so most of the players, at least not the ones completely obsessed with online chess, were just playing regular tournaments, over-the-board chess, over-the-board blitz, things of that nature. But recently the culture has completely shifted. And I feel like the players that were doing the work back in those days when there was no money in it, now they're definitely you know, uh, at an advantage. Um, whether that's significant or not, and whether that you, know, you can catch up on it, it's a point of discussion, but at the same time, I feel like they definitely have an advantage. Like you see Hikaru, he, he's been playing since he was a kid. He has the mechanics down to down to a T. And you can see that with Andrew Tang. You can see that with a lot of players that used to be very, very present in, in, in the online scene when there was no money in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, that being said, I mean, for example, Grishuk was always like a regular on ICC, and now he doesn't seem to be super present in online chess um i, I was I, I was very active in online on, on the icc days right so i mean you're still you're still doing pretty well so <laughs> yeah yeah but uh i i don't think that you can like chess is 99 percent of it and being successful online the remaining one percent yeah of course you need some flagging skills but most events are going to be with increment and yeah every once in a while it's it's good to have those flagging skills um there are some players, for example, who have poor results because their internet is bad, right? Uh, Ding is one that comes to Yeah, me. well, yeah, we're thinking of Ding, right? Because uh, <laughs> he, he's never somehow been able to get like a proper internet connection in the last three years. Um, hope I don't understand why. I mean, hopefully the World Championship cash can assist with that. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's, it's about the money. But it's very strange, isn't it? Like, why wouldn't um, you be able to get good internet? I, I don't know exactly it's, which city it's, you it's, it's about China, I think. Uh, they have this firewall in, in China, and I think access to internet in general and speed uh, through the VPN, because I would assume this is how he accesses it most of the things, is it, just slower. Um, you need a VPN in China to use chess.com? I think so. Really? I... I'm not sure about it, but the last and the only time I traveled to China, I needed a VPN for more or less pretty much everything. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I've actually I, never I, been, so I, I, I might be wrong. Yeah, it it was pretty bad. So you do need the the VPN for a lot of things. Everything is kind of protected. Everything is firewalled. Um, and and he and, played the event. Uh, he left after three rounds. I this he was two out of three. Yeah, he played. He played. He he left after three rounds. He was two out of three, and he, and then he didn't play any more games. I didn't see the games. Maybe he disconnected. Maybe his internet was acting up. I, I don't know. Like it's not a very interesting point, but he was present at the event, and he was one one of many players, many top players who who did not get to Division One. I, I can name Frugia. I can name Jan as as another player. Uh, all these guys played. Uh, Ali Reza was there. Uh, Jan was there. They didn't get into the top eight. So they didn't even play a match to get into Division One. Uh, obviously, Magnus, uh, who who still struggled, like he didn't get in it easily. He he didn't make it, and Wesley, who's always consistent, made it. Um, and Levon, who's also 
generally very consistent in these events, very good. Uh, so it's not like a shocking development, but you see how tough these events are. Even the best of the best are struggling to to qualify. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's go back to classic because uh, we did have an event just finishing up and a very interesting event, especially for you. I don't remember the last time. Of course, I'm talking about Norway chess. I don't remember the last time in a nine round event that you had six decisive games. Um, three draws and then we're going to be discussing about the Armageddon and the interesting format that Norway just had but also the number of decisive games can you remember the last time you had six decisive games in, in a nine-round event no I, I think generally I have a higher percentage of decisive games than some of my colleagues but not to that extent uh, definitely not six out of nine it's a bit unusual um, yeah, it was very up and down, what can I say? Like my immediate reaction after the event was, of course, kind of like extreme disappointment. Uh, now I think it's a bit more measured in that like um, take, taking it all together, there's of course some good and bad. The bad is like, since it happens at the end, the bad is what you feel the most. If it had happened in reverse, of course, it would have felt very good, right? If I had, let's say, started minus two and then finished with four wins. Uh, then it would have felt like a, a major success. Um, but I to think that extent, also... I, I don't think you were ever plus four, right? You're plus three at all times, and then you drop back to plus two, then plus three again, and then plus two in the end after the last round. Yeah, I, I was never I was never plus four. I, I won three out of my first four, and then I scored minus one in the last half. Uh, obviously, got very very shaky in a lot of games. Yeah, it's uh, of course the last game was very silly <laughs> from my point of view. Uh, I, I was losing uh, after 15 moves or whatever move number it was that I played f5, uh, and yeah, very very silly way of course to it can happen that you lose to lose that way, um, and then the problem is that yeah, of course I understood after that like what am I doing? What was your state of mind at, at that point? And I don't want to, you know, bring back uh, difficult memories and difficult moments, but how do you recover in the game and how do you force yourself? Because that's basically the only option you have at that point to just continue fighting and give the best you can to, to hold. Okay, I, I mean, I didn't hold the game, obviously, so it's not really, it's a moot point. Um, but yeah, okay, I just tried to find something that doesn't lose on the spot. Like I saw at least this end game after rook d5, I don't lose an extra another pawn, uh, <laughs> so I was trying to avoid losing three pawns, and I was hoping, uh, with without much belief that it would ever work, but hoping that uh, in a long game maybe I start to get, I start to diminish the advantage a little bit, and it felt pretty hopeless. But I guess crazier things have happened, but. Uh, yeah, he, he also handled it pretty practically well. Um, like he was making making pretty decent moves quickly and not getting low on time. He only got low on time at the end when it was already there wasn't really much left to to be done for for, for me. Yeah, yeah, no, it was an interesting tournament and a tournament of uh, opposites almost and opposites feelings as well uh, throughout the event. Um, extremes. You, you go through the, the, the most pleasant extremes, uh, like beating Magnus after um, a prolonged period of, of, of not managing to beat him, and then you know losing to Shaq, but still winning like many more games. Um, yeah, I mean he's been signaling his reluctance to kind of play or at least uh, compete at the highest level in class classical chess and uh, compete at the highest level, meaning that you have to set up a very um, large number of hours of, of preparation, you know, things of that nature that come with, with the territory of classical chess. And he mostly enjoys nowadays playing the more intuitive formats, right? Rap, rapid blitz. He obviously enjoyed Armageddon. He, in fact, won, um, I believe, seven out of eight Armageddons. So <laughs> yeah, he, Armageddon, he was pretty good. <laughs> he, he's pretty strong in Armageddon, I have to say. He's, he's really, really tough. 
that's significant. I and you mentioned that to me as well. He definitely seems very, um, very dominant in in short time controls, uh, winning in uh, Poland as well. The Grand Chancellor in, in Poland. Kazakhs. Oh, Poland, yeah, yeah Grand Chancellor. Yeah. The World Championship. The Rapid and Blitz, of course. He's Which the I, World I Champion of Rapid and Blitz. More significant. Yeah, huge, huge. So he's been definitely having a very impactful year. But in, the in thing Rapid is, Blitz. he hasn't said that he dislikes classical chess. He said that he likes classical chess the most, but he doesn't like the preparation that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, not even the preparation, but the fact that it's uh, such an uphill battle to create valuable ideas in the opening now, which I can relate to because I also, like I get frustrated when I'm playing, let's say, Wesley or, uh, yeah, actually Wesley is a good example. A guy who like specifically plays the Berlin and for example, the Tarish or, or some opening, yeah, the, let's say the Tarish uh, with, with uh, CD4. And he's played these openings for the last like eight years. And he's seen every single try under the sun. And uh, he spent every single game pairing for, for these event openings. So you basically can't surprise him. And you almost can't get a game. Like you actually can't get a playable position with White against Wesley. Like, almost. Sometimes you can. But it's, it's kind of like you have to take a shot in the dark and hope that he just doesn't remember his preparation on that specific day. Uh, so he's like one of the guys I would think of. Um, Anish is another guy, but Anish like varies his openings a lot. So he can, um, like Anish could play the Berlin every game, but he he doesn't want to. So um, like everyone could play the Berlin every game. West uh, Magnus could, uh, uh, I could, but we just kind of get bored playing the Berlin every single game. Uh, but if you want to like never lose at the top, then yeah, you you just it's easy to prepare these openings. Um, of course, you have to like remember your stuff. Of course, I, I didn't, against Hikaru, I didn't remember anything. I, I mixed things up and I lost like an idiot. Um, so this can happen too. Just to stay but, on that point uh, for a second, uh, you mentioned that Wesley is one of the few players that kind of stays within his repertoire, very, very stable repertoire, and he doesn't lose very often. So there's definitely some upside to that. Would you say there is any downside to that? You're not getting exposed to new ideas, to new middle game structures. Uh, uh, you, you know, you're not expanding, let's say, your understanding of chess as a whole. Is that a bug in his whole strategy? Well, it works for him. Uh, it has a lot of advantages. And sometimes I've been a bit envious because I'm one of the players who, like, I vary my openings very consistently. Uh, I play, you play, uh, everything. I play many things. <laughs> yeah. I, I play many things. And this is one of the reasons why sometimes, like against Hikaru, if I'm a bit surprised or because I'm not like preparing the same things every game, then I, I could be, maybe I haven't checked a particular line for like, let's say eight months, 10 months, and I, I don't remember it precisely. And some t accidents could happen. Or um, like, let's say if you want to play, if you need to play for a win, then uh, you probably want to face me more than you want to face Wesley. Probably. Uh, I would, I like, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put myself down or anything, but that's, no, I don't think like, it does. Yeah, we, we just have a different styles. styles. Yeah, uh, I, I would get bored. Like I, I just, even with the amount of openings I play, I get bored very often, and I like to just check new stuff and play new stuff. Uh, his 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 openings opening approach has a serious advantage in terms of saving energy because he has to do less work to keep up to date with his openings. Uh, there's less um, stress because he kind of knows what he's going to play, so he doesn't have to like deal with that extra energy of deciding what he's going to play. And especially in rapid and blitz events, you just kind of play your stuff, and it has a lot of advantages because you can't really get surprised as easily. So, um, in in rapid and blitz matches, especially, I would say my approach is deficient compared to his. Uh, in terms of like, okay, let's say I, I have my own approach to chess and I, I like to um, 
I like to take chances a lot. Uh, I, maybe too many chances in general, but I, I do like to take chances, and maybe that also has some advantages. Uh, definitely leads to a bit more up and down tournaments. The way I see it, in fact, for Rapid and Blitz, your strategy is uh, is better because you get more decisive games, and it feels like in Rapid and Blitz, first of all, you generally have more rounds, and um, the variance is, is is much more important whether you win. Whenever you start winning, you get on a streak. It's very easy to get on a streak, especially in blitz competitions. And I think that your style, taking and assuming more risk, generally plays into that. Okay, so you're thinking tournaments, and I can see your argument yes. for tournaments. Yes, tournaments. I was yeah. thinking matches, and then I would disagree because in matches, you ah, matches. Don't, okay. okay, you definitely don't want variance. Like one thing you want in matches is not to have any variance. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking world championship, world blitz championship, for example, twenty something yeah. rounds. If if it's if it's like a long tournament, then sure, maybe um, maybe it's better to. I, I think in that case, like, especially Blitz doesn't matter. I mean, I'm talking rapid because Blitz really doesn't matter. What do you play? Um, which is why Magnus loves Blitz, because it, whatever you play, even if you're out prepared, even if I got the position I get, got against Hikaru in Blitz, that's just a normal Blitz position to be playing. Like plus two, it happens. Uh, and then you play. And you get down to a few seconds and people just start to panic because that's normal, right? Who, who can think straight when they have uh, two seconds on their clock? Everyone panics. Uh, so, but rapid chess, of course, it's good to have some stability. Um, in classical chess, I actually think, like Wesley's style, will lead to very, very consistent tournament results, and that's what he has. Yep. He almost always scores a plus, and it's almost always a small plus. Plus one or plus it's two. It's usually, it's usually plus one and plus two, and he's actually maintained that plus one, plus two, or over years, and I'm not exaggerating. Like his consistency is is pretty admirable, um, and it's also I think very unique. Like I, I don't know who else scores plus one plus two over like the last four years in every event. And I think the closest is Anish. I don't even think it's close. I, I don't think Anish has. I think Anish has a lot of streaky behavior too. Uh, I don't think he has anything close to to Wesley's stability. I would say. Magnus has the same level of stability, but with a bit of a bump in, in results, obviously, right? He's he's had generally better results than Wesley. Well, so instead of high. plus one, plus two, he's usually, let's say, plus three, plus four. Uh, or maybe maybe plus four, plus five, whatever it is. But uh, it's obviously a bump compared to Wesley's stability. Uh, Anish is stable, but he can have bad events. Like WR Masters for him was bad, minus one. And that was after he scored plus five in Vike. So, you know, I, I see his variance there much more so. And I think that's because Anish is considered uh, sometimes very unfairly to be, let's say, a boring player based purely on like some past results, um, some mostly fictitious narrative. And because he has had problems with his technique. So, he can get very exciting games and then be winning and then mess it up, which doesn't mean that you're a boring player. It just means that you have some problems finishing off a game, right? Um, so he, I've noticed that he can sometimes struggle with technique. And that can lead to to yeah making a bunch of draws. But uh, people tease him for like 14 candidate draws, but they forget I, that I, he was I think that was the one. I think that was the one that cemented that narrative. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's again one tournament, and like we should, and it's from 2016. We should remember, like, we should probably get away from seven-year-old narratives. Uh, so, I I think that Smurden had like a maybe you could pull it up. I don't know if it's easy to find, but his fighting index—that's what it was I'll, called. I'll he had an interesting, yeah, just like look up Smurden's fighting index. I don't know if it's like publicly available on Google, but Let's see it should be if we can pull that up. Yeah, this is the one. I, I see one from 2021. Give me just one second. Anyway, we can, if it's a bit dated, we can still have a look and. Yes. I think it's dated. I think it's dated, but if you look at it, Anish is 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 not like super low on it. Um, obviously, it contains some people who were not surprised, like Kramnik. Obviously, Kramnik 
at some point had like crazy decisive games based on his valuation factor his mm -hmm. internal evaluation of chess going kind of haywire <laughs> uh, and thinking he was winning every position which was kind of funny um do you have a good fighting index Number okay four, i have a lot of decisive games in general and Le Quang Liam, obviously, he's like a super fighting player. Artemiev. Well, I would say uh, from the competitive, still competitive uh, elite level players, I mean, you're obviously at the top by quite a significant margin. Like, yeah, it, it might be. It's I don't you and then Duda and, and Magnus, right? I mean, Nidish doesn't play that much anymore. Arianov is more or less retired. Artemiev. But like, yeah, Artemiev is also obviously very fighting, but like, find, find Anish. He's, he's probably only a little bit farther down. Like a little bit. Let's see. Anish. Oh, wow. Okay. 30th. Okay. He's somewhere in the middle. But, which... but again, he's he's like next to Aronia, yeah? Who is considered a very combative player. I'm kind of Artistic, shocked that West things like of that nature. Maybe I'm uh, perpetuating some false narratives myself. But from my point of view, Wesley is like the most solid player. I mean, that's what I think. Um, yeah. I could be, could be wrong, of course, by the numbers. Hmm. All I right, think at the, at the very bottom we have Rajabov and uh, Rusto. Interesting. Interesting. And okay, Vichy? Wait, 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 some... wait. Vichy is at 47? No. Yeah, Vichy was drawing a lot of games at some point in his career. Huh. That's very interesting. But this is 2015 to 2020, so I think things have changed since then. Yes. I don't know if there's any update, but definitely things have changed uh, since 2020. Yes, games from 2015 to 2020 players who have played at least 100 games. Okay, all right, all right, that makes sense. That makes sense. Like, I think that Wesley would go up a lot, specifically because after 2020, engines got a lot stronger and it made it possible to prepare openings on such a level that you can, without remembering a huge amount, you can kind of um, kill like certain openings entirely and it narrowed it narrowed the openings quite a lot this is actually what Magnus is referring to it narrowed where white can look for potential tries or potential ways to get a game so some people really utilize that in order to solidify their repertoire so that they almost never get a worse position and Wesley is one of them and Hikaru is another one of them Hikaru with the black pieces you won't find many games where he's worse out of the opening uh, very few. If you look through his games over the last year, um, and that's yeah, going to be I, very I difficult to do. That's going to be very difficult to do because, because ninety-five percent of Berlin. his games are online. Okay, yeah, that's true. But but he played a candidates and he plays the Berlin and he he has an interesting approach, which I actually I, I I know his approach, so I really should have realized, um, like what he would prepare against me because in hindsight it was just like of course he's going to do this. Um, but his approach to openings is is like pretty straightforward recently, and it's it's very based on what he views as the optimal way of uh, of trying to get an advantage from white and trying to basically neutralize him with black. So uh, I kind of I even told you this the day of, I was like, okay, I, I know more or less what type of line he's going to try to play, and then for some reason I didn't predict that predict the actual line. So. It was it was a moment of stupidity on my part um, because when he played it, I was like, of course he's gonna, of course he plays this. I mean, uh, but yeah, it was a smart choice. I, I really should have predicted it. But uh, yeah, so Wesley, um, Wesley Hikaru, those are two of the guys who have decided to basically rock up inside the Berlin, and they don't play well. Actually, Nakamura is starting to branch out. He's played a lot of Rosalimo. With black recently a lot of sicilians where he's trying to get like he played the clash and it was a bit of an unusual choice but it worked out very well like he beat i think Dominguez. it's very specific for this time control where you don't get a second time control no no but it, he played the clash and in the american cup he beat lanier yes um, do you get the second time control in the american cup oh yeah yeah you are getting hmm. i think so i think so why why do i have the idea stuck in my head that you weren't getting a second time control. Maybe not. Um, I actually don't remember <laughs> because we played so little classical chess there. It was all rapid inverse. But yeah. um, maybe not. Uh, actually, you, you might be right. 
But I, I think it was not the time control. I think he just decided to branch out a little bit with a surprise. And he did pick a, like, the Kalashnikov is definitely an opening that's not on people's radars. The Sveshnikov is. Um, and for that reason, like, people kind of just play the Rose Limo against IC6. They think, okay, why? I mean, the Sveshnikov is so difficult to find anything, so play the Rose Limo. But he had some interesting ideas in the Rose Limo as well against Ferruja, against Anish. Uh, I think against Ferruja, he was definitely. Struggling though, like he, he had a very dangerous position at some point. But uh, overall, okay, Hikaru is, is branching out a bit. Um, yeah, in terms of like opening trends, it's a very interesting thing. But when you actually have to prepare for for one of these guys, it's very frustrating. And and that's why I understand I understand what Magnus is feeling. Um, on the other hand, it does feel like you somehow get chances during tournaments, like with all the frustration that that there is. Magnus had chances to win against Ali Reza by playing some, because people just, they get bored with the Berlin and they play some random openings. Like, okay, Ali Reza decided to play some, some Sicilian. Magnus played third move Bishop D3. But Ali Reza was extremely combative throughout the event. I, I don't think he took uh, the easy path out very often. Like he didn't like- well, he, he always is, right? Solid stuff. He always yeah. is. He's, he's a very fighting guy. Young, yeah. he he won some decisive games. I think he was just enjoying himself in Norway. So, yeah, no, um, very intriguing player. So we against Ali Reza, it's kind of you know easy to to not go into the. Bonus. Okay, but you have you have players like you have the Wesley, yeah, and and the guys who yeah you're you're probably going to struggle to get an advantage, and then you have some of the young guys, um, although Gukesh is extremely solid. But sometimes you get chances with black pieces. For example, Hikaru beats Bukesh with black. Uh, like your opponents also, are, they will also want to win. So with the white pieces, they play, uh, they play something. They're happy if you play something random. They're happy to get a fighting position, and then you have a game, right? Uh, against Ali Reza, I decided to play a random French. Uh, he also didn't. He wanted to avoid the main lines, so he played uh, an, a sideline where he sacrificed material, and suddenly we have a game. Uh, I lost it white to um, Mamed uh, to to Chakriar. Of course, I can make a draw against Chakriar with the white pieces, uh, but I want to win. We get a fight. I'm better. I'm worse, and then we have a decisive result. I lose. Uh, same with my game against Notre Like somehow the somehow the fights happen because people get ambitious during the game. Maybe not before the game, but during the game, they, at some point they get ambitious. So. It's not like a tragedy, but I do understand Magnus's frustration because before the game, you're like, I need to play for a win with the white pieces. And then you're playing Wesley and you look at his repertoire and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get a sterile position because I, what, how else? Like, it's just very difficult to avoid it. Um, to that note, Wesley is one that very rarely gets ambitious during the game. Like, even if he has a slight advantage, he's going to especially if he's black, he's most likely going to try to kill the game. With white, it's a completely different story. But with black, even if he gets a slight plus with black, he's, he's going to try to find a way to kill the game. It, yeah, Wesley is... Um, it's interesting. His his ambition is seems to be very moody. Like, mm. sometimes he's ambitious, but you can't, ex you can't predict exactly when. And sometimes you expect him to, like be happy with the draw and then suddenly he wants to beat you so you never know uh that's why i i know that i like never underestimate wesley um because there there were times when i'm like okay yeah it's, it's we're gonna make a draw and then you you understand that of course he's when he's ambitious he's also very powerful and then he can very easily beat anyone in the world so i i also am very very cautious with wesley because i understand how strong he is but his uh, his ambition is is a bit up and down. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Cool. All right. Norway chess comes to an end, second place. Now uh, that kind of leads us into the next point of conversation, which is the grand. It's not the grand prix points. It's uh, the FIDE circuit points. Um, so let's discuss those because right now you're sitting at three events, and there's been a couple of updates in that regard um just to give you guys some insight some background to this story basically the player that wins the circuit at the end of the year um gets a candidate spot 
for Toronto 2024. So quite significant. Uh, everybody, uh, there's some open tournaments involved, which get points. Um, there's closed events from all over the world, national championships, things of that nature, very strong events in general. So uh, right now we see Gukesh leading the pack, but at the same time, he also has five events. So they will take the best five results from the calendar year and um, add the points and whoever wins based on those points gets the candy spot. Right now, Gukesh already played five events and he's sitting at 75 points. Wesley, 70 points with five events. And then you and Anish separated by only two points, but Anish has an extra event. So up to this point, I want to say your calendar year has been quite successful. One in um, Romania that gave you a lot of points, 26.84. I think 27 and a little bit is, is maximum. So that's good. Obviously, yeah, pretty uh, much. 27 is like more or less the most you can. I, like we, we already know the events that are going to happen this year. And 27 is going to be the highest that you're going to get for an event because the Sinkfield Cup is like the next classical super tournament. And that's not going to have Magnus. Um, while, for example, Norway, it's based on average rating. Norway had Magnus, who is obviously very high rated, but it also has Tari, who brings down the average quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, so basically 27 or close to it is going to be more or less the maximum. For example, Hikaru got 27 for Norway. I got 26.84 for Superbet because Magnus yes. was... Wasn't there, but um, the lowest rated player was twenty seven hundred. So, mm -hmm. so it was quite high average rating. Yeah. And um, so, if you if you look at like Anish, we're more or less tied because he has one extra event, but this event is a very poor event. So he got like two points from it. So twenty seven so average... in Tata, that's a big event for him. Seventeen in uh, Superbet Romania, that's very decent. In Norway, very decent, sixteen point thirty one. As you were mentioning, yeah. the W Masters only. And that one doesn't count because doesn't he's count. going to play, yeah. he's going to replace that with some better event. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to play the some events in the Grand Chess Tour, and he's going to have a better result, hopefully for him, than two points because two points is basically nothing. Yeah. Like you can check Noterbeck got ten points from the Blitz tournament before Norway Chess. So like, how many super Grand events do we have? Singfield Cup, that's one of them with a lot of points at stake. Um, well, Magnus not playing. It's basically only Singfield Cup because the Grand Swiss and the World Cup, they're kind of super events, but they're kind of qualification events and they're a bit different. They're not like closed events. What about US Champs? So, US Champs, I don't think will be counted as a super tournament. I, I mean, the average rating will be much lower. You'll have players who are low 2600s, even high 2500s, maybe. Um, but you're still probably so, going to get like a 2720 average. Do you think it's going to be that high, 2720? Well, I'm thinking about six players already over 2700, maybe more than that, actually. Um, yeah, I think six players. It's you, it's uh, Wesley, um, Lemier, Levon. Hikaru will play. Uh-huh. Hikaru won't play. Okay, that's... I, we don't know that for sure, by the way. I'm not I'm not convinced that play. he will not play. I, th th this is an assumption right now. We might see... A, I don't know. Look, call me crazy, but what if Hikaru decides to play the US Oh, He might play, but I, I, I actually... I don't think that he will, and I also I'm wondering... Uh, I know this is a bit funny, but I'm wondering because Hans will play. Hans will right? play, yes, yes. So, like, will Hikaru want to play in the same tournament as Hans? Oh, you're thinking it might be like a conflict due to, due to the um, due to a lawsuit, right? No, I'm sure that they can play in the same tournament. I'm just, will Hikaru actually want and be willing to play Hans? Well, that's going to be a good story for Hikaru's YouTube channel. <laughs> Maybe, I, I don't know. But, um... So, I, I don't know if he values that. Um, like, last much, year, but... the lowest rated player was... Was Lenderman twenty five thirty five and also Elshon twenty five thirty seven, and then yes. twenty five sixty three Christopher, and twenty six oh eight a wonder, and after that's twenty six fifty plus. But that's that's a lot of players who are going to bring down the average quite significantly. Well, let's just put it this way: right now, um, 
Grigory Oparin, who is close to 2700, I think he's 2687. I'm not convinced he has a spot by rating. But but he's not going to get those junior spots or the U.S. You have Open one spot junior or... spot and one U.S. Open spot. Yeah, but because last it, year it was not... four. You you have to remember that last year you had two junior spots and two U.S. Open spots because that's true. Last year was especially um, low rated by average rating. And also a lot of us had lost rating, so I, I was yes. twenty seven fifty eight. Yes. Okay. I, I don't know what the average rating will be. It might be very, very strong. It might be I mean it'll be an important event anyway, because if you win, even if it's like twenty seven hundred average or twenty six ninety average, it's still gonna give a lot of points, right? It's still gonna give like seventeen, eighteen points maybe. Uh, yeah. so it's it's still a good event to win. And Zagreb will count. Zagreb is going to be can you check when Magnus won Poland? How many points did he get for that? Let's see. That's a very good question. He got twelve. Okay, so actually, winning Zagreb is not like a big deal, which is kind of points. yeah. The rapid and blitz seem to be seem to be very much outweighed by the classical. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to say like which events. Are going to be. I mean, the World Championship Rapid and Blitz. Will those count at the end of the year? They should. They definitely and will those should. have like special points awarded because they're World Championships? My guess is yes, but yeah. No, I, yeah, they, I don't know. They, this is just the system is very strange to me. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That being but... said, um, Anish and I are in good position, and I think Gukesh is in a reasonable position, and some other guys. Like Hikaru is in a good position if he plays events, but he actually has to play some events, which I'm not sure if he'll he'll actually have to play. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, he, he is, so far he's kind of signaling that he's not going to play that many events. I think he even yeah, he, 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 because you need to play five events to even qualify. But besides qualifying, I, I think you like 27 points at the moment. It's it's a, the maximum he could get from a tournament, but it's still like very far behind unless he picks up a few other wins from other tournaments, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, still not convinced. We don't know yet whether he's interested in the World Championship cycle. So speaking of Hans, <laughs> he just finished another event. Uh, we were talking last time that he's just playing absolutely nonstop tournament after tournament. I think he maybe took a one week break and uh, came back, came back in Vegas for some sort of a an open tournament organized by my by my student Josiah Stearman. Um, the tournament was called Thousand GM Twenty Twenty Three Las Vegas Super Swiss, and uh, he was definitely the highest rated by quite a large margin. He finished on seven points, won some rating, um, won some rating back. It, it, it's not easy to win rating, and I was talking with somebody at the beginning of this tournament and I was saying this will be a very dangerous event for Hans because if he loses one game first of all you can easily go on tilt with two rounds a day this is not something that he's been experiencing a lot in 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 recent uh, years he hasn't played that many opens in the United States in recent years so definitely a, a shaky moment but he passed it um I wouldn't say necessarily with flying colors but but definitely did well didn't lose any rating, won a couple of points, and won the event. So that's good news for him. He's been losing a lot of rating. In fact, um, in Baku Open combined with Sharjah, I think he lost something like 35 rating points. So definitely um, a struggling, let's say, couple of events for, for Hans, but he seems to be more or less back on track. As we yeah, can see, 2695. It's, it's, uh, it's a I good tournament. Biggest story ever, but <laughs> not the biggest story. No, but we we like to follow Hans. <laughs> we, I think everybody likes to follow where Hans is playing. Um, yeah, let's I mean, see where Hans he plays right a now. lot. He probably plays too much, despite his age. And obviously, being whatever nineteen, he can he can expend that energy. He has a, the energy due to his age. But yeah. uh, the amount he plays is a bit excessive. I mean. He, I don't know how many games he's played this year. Maybe eighty games already. Uh, like, let's see, it's crazy amounts, right? Uh, I, I think that his rating loss could also be a reason 
could be also be due to like just overplaying just like you know you you um you get tired and you like you have one bad day and you lose to to a talented 2300 and uh, suddenly you lost nine points in one go yeah. so like his rating loss here is basically due to that one game besides that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, just well, if he had won that game he would be down yeah you mean Dubai, right? Yeah, if he had lost, if he had beaten uh, the Chinese player who he lost to at that in in his last game, then he would have yeah. been down three three points rather than almost fifteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, huge swings, and I mean, look at his draws. Yeah, like he's drawing Zhu Zhangqiao, who's a former twenty six thirty or something along those lines rated player, and he loses two points. Uh, he draws uh, Antipov, loses one point five, one point six. 1.7. I mean, you're and and you're only winning a few whenever you beat this 2400. So definitely not not an easy life for a young Hans right now. Um, but he's in Vegas. He's uh, playing some chess. We're expecting yeah. to see him in, in in the National Open as well, which is starting today. But uh, he's not yet scheduled to play in that one. Then why so, are we expecting to see him? I mean, he's in Vegas. He loves to play chess. I, it just makes logical sense, but again, we're not <laughs> we're not in the mind of, of Hans, and he likes to register the, in the um, last moment. I'm just curious, what was the price fund for this thousand GM thing? Um, I think he got sixty five hundred for first place. Okay, it's it's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good payday. Yeah, yeah, it's maybe sixty seven point five. Open tournament circuit. I mean, unless you're winning a lot of events, is is kind of brutal. Yeah, you do want to kind of escape it at some point. It's um, like we've all gone through the gauntlet, uh, all these open tournaments. It's a normal procedure when you're when you're 18, 19, 20. But at some point, you do want to escape it because it is pretty brutal. And the players who who continue to play these open tournaments year after year, at some point, they lose their rating. Yeah, um, just because it, it takes so much energy. Uh, you're you're trying to win small amounts of money. Like if you're not winning tournaments, you're not making any money, basically. So like there there was a bunch of GMs in the past who were like playing every tournament on the American circuit, uh, and it's not really what you want to aim for in the chess world. I mean, it's just it's not amazing money. You you're not you're not going to win everything. Um, but as, as a young player, it's of course yeah you you play what. What you can until you get that like twenty seven fifty plus rating, and then then you're, uh, yeah, then you'll get invitations to the big tournaments. It's a rite of passage for the young guns, the up and coming young guns for sure. Um, and another a big event that we should probably as well cover. Um, it didn't get that much spotlight, but I think there were some very um, fun and and intriguing narratives, and that is uh, the Karen Cup. Karen's Cup is sort of uh, the sink field, but for uh, ladies. And um, it had an unexpected victor, uh, Anna Zatansky, the lowest rated player in the event. She uh, won it. Let's see if I can find the recap for uh, that one and put it on the screen. There we go. Anna Zatansky, day nine. Boom. She was the lowest yeah, was rated player in the event. And she's been struggling a yeah, lot. Yeah, no. I, I was happy to see her win. I, I think she's obviously, um, she's almost been like present for, I don't know, how many decades? 20, plus, just... tw- 20 plus years. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, she, she's been one of the best players in the United States for, for so long. And, um, she struggled a lot the last few years. She lost a lot of rating. She was at some point breaking, very close to breaking 2,500, or I think she might have passed 2,500 yep. in her peak days. And yeah, she lost over 100 points since those days. Uh, so, but obviously uh, she showed that she can still play very well. I, I think that, what did she score finally? Plus four, plus five, like was something very, very high. Let's she see. beat uh, Abdul Malik in the, an ultimate round. Let's see if I can. And then find I think the... she drew Irina in the last round. Yeah, I don't have the exact standings, but she well, didn't lose a single results. game. I know the that she didn't lose. The results should have. If you go up. Um, where? 
you go yeah go to like the pairings and results oh I sure just, yes 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 pairings and results yeah i can do that i did, i just didn't want to get off this this article let's see but yes pairings yeah. and results so six plus four plus four. Mm. plus four well it's i guess it's like technically plus five because because there was a dropout it doesn't yes. show it here but uh and by uh, the way her peak rating was 2537 uh, she was even like significantly over 2500 so yeah she she lost 200 points uh since then but but 2537 is like top top 10 um i guess or at the time was probably more than top 10 but but almost for sure almost for sure in 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 the women's uh, rating list for sure yeah um 2537 she also scored the gm norm in uh, this one so you know that's significant which she might actually like because she's been over 2500 so she has to get three norms mm -hmm. and who like she's probably already gotten one in the past so she's probably like one normal way now they were but discussing that yeah yeah at some point i think she has two of them i believe she needs one more to to get the title she would get the title um if uh, if she gets one more because yeah she's been over 2500 and those are the rules so quite significant good event prices for... are pretty impressive like she made more than i did <laughs> that she did that she did that f5 definitely cost you some uh, some money don't be jealous now no, no, I'm, I'm not. As I said, I'm happy for her. Um, yeah. But yeah. I actually have to say, like, Norway, it's, it's pretty rough if you don't win. I mean, I think Magnus probably made, like, 10 grand. Um, Life is difficult. Like, top. like, sixth place in, in this tournament. <laughs> no, um, the St. Lucia always provides significant price one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's good, of course. It's a, it's a good uh, tournament. It's very nice to see. And yep. I'm sure Magnus is also not hurting for money in general, so you can live with the disappointment. <laughs> with <a> disappointment. <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. Well, Fabi, I think we covered a lot of things that have been happening in the chess world, a lot of events that have been happening. In, you know, there's the one other world. thing. Yes. Um, did you, you see this talk else? of Mike Kramnik? There was an interview. On Levitov chess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was About talking cheating. to Ilya Levitov. Mm. Yeah, it was a talk about cheating. It was interesting. It's in Russian, but pretty accurate subtitles. So I was able to follow it um, on YouTube. I, I did not see it, but the, you've watched it. Give us kind of like the I, summary of it. I, I mean, I didn't watch the whole thing because it's like an hour long. I didn't feel like watching the whole thing, but I watched bits and pieces. Um, also, a lot of it is based on basically Kramnik did an analysis of people's games on tile Tuesday using the accuracy from chess.com and he drew conclusions based on this accuracy uh, and I'm not sure that the accuracy tool is very accurate <laughs> it's kind of funny but I like I, I don't know if you can say that a game is a good game or not a good game or say that a player is maybe getting assistance in this game because they have let's say 90% accuracy because um first of all the accuracy i don't know if it accounts for like let's say overall Opening accuracy or, or big blunders or or you know it, it's theory it's obviously yeah yeah no it does account for theory i think they, they do account for theory but the other thing is that it doesn't account for complicated positions like i at some point in tile tuesday i played a string of like 96 percent accuracy games and I didn't win any of the games. They were all draws because I was playing Magnus, Ikaru, um, Gata, and we just played very, very, like nobody, very stable games. Okay, in, in the game against Magnus, uh, at some point I missed a win. So so there was a bit of that, but, but overall accuracy like didn't lead to me winning games. Well, sometimes you play a 75% accuracy game and you win. And the other thing is that people can cheat even in like 70% accuracy games, because you could play like yourself, and then once you're winning, you you, you win. So you played you played a shit game, but once your opponent blunders, you just capitalize on that, and and you only need help one time during a game for it to be cheating, right? Like any outside assistance is cheating. So um, I feel like the talk it was very interesting. It didn't have like all the nuance 
because it focused on the accuracy stats. But he did bring up pretty, I think, some pretty relevant points, which are that some guys who don't have any over-the-board results have fantastic online results and play at a much higher level online than over the board, which is sometimes my feeling as well. Like these guys who can't play chess over the board or they don't have any like significant results, suddenly their genius is online, which is I think the one hour talk is basically can be summarized as why are some of these guys so good online suddenly? Which um is is a relevant question. Uh but from a scientific approach, I don't think it's like, yeah, we, we can't like put too much stock into these numbers, but I did find an interesting talk. And obviously Vladimir is, um, I mean, he's, he's been world champion. So in general, it's interesting to see, to hear what he says. He has a deep understanding of chess. Um, and he now, I was wondering, why does he play so much online chess now? So I, it turns out that maybe it's like a science experiment for him. Um, hmm, that's maybe a good he's point. like that's a good point. Maybe he's testing to see how prevalent cheating is. Um, I so when we were in Norway, I, I played the early one of the Tile Tuesdays, right on the rest yes. day, or, or yes. rest day. And do you remember the first game, or I'm not gonna say the first game. One of the, one of the games, um, I played a guy who I was like convinced was cheating. You remember that game, right? Of course. Yeah. And I, I was also like, you were also kind of convinced, right? Um, and the game was a draw, but the guy was crushing me. And I, I felt really weird during the game too. And I'm still like, I would bet money that, that when I have this weird feeling that it does turn up, end up being correct. Uh, but still this account has not been closed since then. I want to say also because towards the end of the game, uh, the position was winning for him, um, but he uh, didn't have enough time. And he was still taking as much time, those few seconds in between moves that he usually takes during the actual game as well. So if you draw those games all the way until the move 60 and all the way until the last few seconds, it feels like the accuracy uh, decreases significantly. Which is kind of a sign. Like it's 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 always a, a sign that something fishy is happening. Yeah, but on the other hand, people always like play worse with low time. But he he was playing like consistently five seconds a move. He had then, the like, ca cadence, like, yeah, the cadence of the moves. He was playing, yeah, each move the exact amount of time, and then playing the first line of the computer, and every once in a while the second line of the computer, and then just crushing me. And then suddenly he gets low on time and he starts to struggle and I escape. And on the other hand, like after that game, he just started to lose all his games. So why would you cheat against me and then lose all your games? I had the same feeling yesterday that I played someone who was cheating. And then after he plays me, like he crushes me playing first line pretty much the entire game. And then suddenly he loses all his games. So I'm like, okay, well, well yeah, maybe he had a, maybe he just had a good game. Maybe it was just a lucky game. And then he, he played like, like he normally does after that. Um, I, but I don't know. Because on the other hand, do people luck just naturally... Is luck enough to play the first line of an engine for 20 straight moves for, for a player who obviously 99 times out of 100 would not do this? Like, can that happen one out of 100 times that they can follow the first line for 20 moves in a complex position? Uh, that's the question. If it can happen one out of a hundred times, then obviously we can't draw conclusions from from one game. But if it can't even happen one out of a hundred times, then yeah, it's probably a sign of cheating, right? That is a very good question. And perhaps uh, since we're inching closer to the end of the show, we should ask our viewers to comment in the comment section and tell us what they think about this. So yeah, tell us what you think, whether you think this is normal or not. Yeah, I was also thinking like, is it arrogance? Because if I, I, I if I play twenty first line moves in a row, I'm like, okay, it's yeah, it happens. But uh, maybe it's arrogance on my point, my side to to assume that other people can't also um, play very accurately. Difficult and lingering questions of of a professional chess lifestyle. Um, yeah, well, Fabi, I think. Uh, I think it's a good good place to leave it at. 
And um, what should we tell our viewers? There's nothing, the easiest way for them to support, as usual, is to just like and subscribe and leave your comments you know, on, the, on the video. If you made it all the way to here, then definitely leave a comment. Tell us what you think about the episode. Tell us what you think about the discussion. And um, next week, what's, what's, what's next for you, actually? I'm going to play in Dortmund. When which is, is starting the 24th. Ten days from now, I'll play in Dortmund. That is the No Castle Chess with the one and only uh, Vladi, Vladi Kramnik. Is it organized Kramnik by him? There. No, it's, or it's or his concept, right? I think it was his idea. So he's played the Dortmund tournament for decades. He he's the he's the biggest winner of the Dortmund tournament. He's won it more than anyone else. I've won it second most after him. Um, and he came up at some point with this idea of no castling chess. Oh, it's my first time trying it out, so I will. Besides us, Elyanov, Pavel Pavel Elyanov is playing, and Dmitry Kolars. So Pavel Elyanov from Ukraine, Dmitry Kolars from Germany are playing so it's only four players at the same time there will be an open tournament going on uh, so we'll be playing a little closed no castling tournament they'll be playing an open tournament with castling because uh, i guess i mean no castling chess is not rated obviously it's since it's not actually chess i mean it's a, it's a variant of some sort um, the only thing i know about no castling chess is that you can freely move your h and a pawns and it's actually probably the correct way to approach it like e4 followed by h4 is probably the best way that white can play and black can in turn play h5 or a5 because you don't castle so you have to activate your rook somehow and keep your king usually in the center uh, or at least that's a very viable strategy but we'll see how that turns out I, i've never tried it so i'll give it a shot oh. yeah no that should be interesting uh, i'm actually playing some chess as well getting back into the arena in 10 days, uh, going to Spain, going to Tenerife for the uh, initial edition of a new open tournament, an international open tournament, a lot of decent players. I think the highest rated is Book uh, Xiangxi from China. A good opportunity for me to, um, actually I'm going there on like a triple, let's say, duty. I'm, I'm playing, I, I will be also perhaps there with my student who is playing, uh, my current and my future student at the university. And uh, maybe I'll do some recruiting as well. So I'm excited about that. And now I'm more or less trying to find ways to motivate myself to, to work on chess. You should, uh, you should recruit Boo. I should re <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Boo is like... He's 2700. Yes, he's also like... 35, 36 years of age? I don't know how... how I think he's it. older than that. But maybe maybe older, older than that. that. Uh, there are some teams in, in collegiate chess that has ha, that have those type of uh, recruiting tactics, recruiting older 30-plus uh, players, but I'm not one of them. I prefer to keep my university team to university age. He's only 37. It's, yeah, only. only. 37 he's, is university age. He's, he's a young spring chicken, for sure. But he, he's very strong still. He's 27. Um, I'm not debating ah, that. He's really good. <laughs> he's a bit under 27 now, but yes. he's still very good. Yes. Anyway, that should be fun to watch and yes, to play. Yes, yes, yes. yes. No, that's, that's going to be interesting. So uh, I think we'll catch up before that with the next week's episode. Um, but yeah, like, subscribe, support the channel, get in Discord, do all the right things, and we will see you guys in next week's episode. Until then, cheers. See you, Fabi. Bye.